0: winter gardening. It kind of sounds like an oxymoron, especially if you live in a cold state like I do, but it is actually a thing and it can be pretty magical. For many many years I just assumed that with our very frigid Wyoming prairie winters that anything out in the garden past about October was 100% out of the question and so I wouldn't even go out there. I would pull the last of the tomatoes out kind of put things away for the winter, and then completely ignore my garden until spring finally rolled around. However, in recent years, I've changed my tune on this quite a bit, and I have found a whole lot of possibilities out in my garden 365 days a year. In this episode, we're going to dive into some winter gardening strategies. We're going to talk about storage and how you can maximize your garden space all year long. You're listening to the Old Fashioned On Purpose Podcast, where ambitious people master the art of returning to their roots. Have you found yourself disenchanted with society or wishing you could opt out of the rat race? Perhaps you're craving a life that's meaningful and tangible, a life where you can create and produce instead of merely consume. I'm Jill Winger, best-selling author and longtime homesteader. Over the last 10 years, I've helped thousands of families create more connection, grow amazing organic food, and find the ultimate fulfillment through an old-fashioned lifestyle. And I can do the same for you. Now, on to our episode. So, yes, it is possible to grow food out in the winter garden. Actually, let me rephrase that. For most of us, it's less about like actively growing and more about maintaining things that have already grown. But Regardless, there's a lot of possibility out there. You can store things out in your garden. You can actually reduce your preservation task load by strategically using your garden for storage. It's just just a lot of things you can do. So the, the first part of this episode, I want to talk a little bit about how you can keep vegetables in the garden. Ones that you grew in the summer, they're already out there. Maybe you don't have a root cellar, you're limited on space. And how can you maximize your garden area to keep these vegetables fresh for many months to come? So I've mentioned this a few times on social media over the last few months, and I always get a ton of questions about it um, because I think a lot of people assume that every single thing must be removed from the garden, you know, before the first frost. And that's, not necessarily the case. Obviously some things, the tomatoes and the melons and the squash and the cucumbers, those are super susceptible to any sort of cold. So if you are getting that news report that, oh my gosh, the, the frost is coming, the snow is coming, you're going to be out there racing to get everything in. But there's a number of crops that I will leave outside for quite a while longer. And this is how a lot of the old timers would do it if you know they didn't have a lot of cold storage. So obviously a root cellar is the most ideal situation. And I think most of us homesteader minded folk would love a root cellar. We're hoping to build one this year that's in the plans. We'll see what happens. But even without a official root cellar, you can do a lot with just your ground. So the main vegetables that do well with in ground storage would be the root vegetables. I think that makes sense, right? Uh, for example, carrots, Depending on where you live and how cold it gets, but carrots can last in the ground for quite some time. In fact, carrots and parsnips—they actually taste better after a freeze, a couple freezes. They'll get sweeter. Um, so I generally will always leave my carrots in the ground. In fact, I think it was maybe a month ago. We'd had we've had a lot of snow. We've had a lot of cold. Maybe a little more than a month, but. I needed carrots for stew, and I went out to my carrot bed and was able to harvest some. Um, The only kicker here is that if your ground freezes completely solid, then obviously that's not going to work. But even though we've had a lot of cold, I was still able to harvest those carrots, and they were no worse for the wear. The biggest trick, I think, if you're going to be leaving your some of your vegetables in the ground is that you want to cover them because if you do have like the shoulders of the vegetable, like, you know, I'm picturing the beets or the carrots, you know, sticking above uh, the ground level, you, they're going to get shocked by the snow or the frost. So if you can put a heavy layer of straw or some sort of mulch over the top, then feasibly you could get many, many months of harvests out of those vegetables. I will say... One hard lesson I learned was, and this is probably more unique to those of us who live in the States where we have the blowing snow phenomenon, the drifting snow. One year I had this grand aspiration to leave my carrots in the garden. And then a few weeks later, we got this epic snowstorm. And for us here in Wyoming, some of you have seen my pictures over on Instagram, we get drifts. And when I say drifts, I'm not talking like little cute drifts that pile up on your porch. I'm talking like eight foot drifts (laughs) that will like shut the barn doors in and you have to use equipment to clear out the driveway, like taller than me drifts. That's how we roll here on the prairie. So there was this one particular snowstorm where it dumped snow and then the wind blew for days after and it piled some impressive drifts all over my garden. And so then I was like, eh, I have to go dig the carrots out from under the snow and that's kind of a pain. So take that into consideration. If you're thinking of doing this, make sure you have this in a place where if you do get a lot of snow, like snow itself isn't a huge deal, but if you get an eight foot drift on top of the carrot bed, that's going to be not super fun to dig out. So take that into consideration. But otherwise, I mean, we're pretty cold here and I can leave stuff in the ground for quite a while. Um, When it comes to potatoes, that's another one you could kind of play around with. Um I left, I, I grew a ton of potatoes this year. A lot of you probably saw the picture. It's like this giant like hundred foot-long strip of potatoes, lots of potatoes. And I could not physically get them out of the ground before we froze. Like I did not have the time I was booking it to get my tomatoes out of the garden because those are like there, there is no compromise with tomatoes. Once they freeze, you're toast. So I was getting the tomatoes and the cucumbers, the potatoes, like it was triage, man. They had to stay in till later. And we got some pretty cold weather, a bunch of snow. And a few weeks later I went out and 95% of the potatoes were perfectly fine. The only ones that didn't fare well were the ones that had been exposed. So you know how sometimes potato plants, like the potatoes will peak up above the ground if you don't mound them adequately, that happened a little bit and on those potatoes they were damaged and they got squishy and some of them maybe even weren't like mushy right away but I could tell just by squeezing them that they were not going to last well in storage so I made sure to pull all those out they were kind of discolored where they froze but other than that they did great and I think that's an awesome option in your garden you know maybe if you have an in-ground garden you can dig a hole Couple feet down, put your potatoes in layers and then cover them up with uh, a board and then maybe a couple hay bales on top. Um, We have a neighbor who did that last year. She doesn't have a root cellar. She doesn't have a lot of room in her house. And so she did that with her potato crop. And she said she was able to harvest or not harvest them, use them for months well into the winter and had no problem. So just to get your creative juices flowing. There's a lot you can do with storage in the garden. It doesn't have to necessarily be completely stripped naked, you know, in October or whenever you end end your growing season. You can play around with this. Even those of you who live in ridiculous climates like I do, we have some options. You know, one of the stories that I always think about when I talk about winter gardening is in the book, I think it's the winter harvest. No, sorry. Four season harvest by Elliot Coleman. You've heard me talk about him before. I love his books, but I think he's telling the story in that book of he's traveling to Europe uh, with some friends to look at gardening stuff. And they went into this garden and it was the dead of winter. And they were talking to the gardener and said something like, Oh, it's, you know, something about the garden being done for the year, the garden being over. And the guy was like, no, it's, it's not over. Like, look at, look at the garden. There's still so much here. Um, I might be telling the story wrong, but you get the gist, but when Elliot said he was going into the garden and examining and you start to look closer, there's a lot more life to be had, even when it's very cold outside. So this is more, this episode is more of, it, the goal is to get you thinking outside the box, to get you examining what you could do with your climate, because there's so many variables here. What can you do to expand the season and expand your possibilities? Um, Okay, the other thing to do in the winter if maybe you're not growing as much or you want to kind of get your garden to do double duty is if you have chickens, this is a great time to stick them in the garden. And we have had Lisa Steele on that episode not too long ago. We talked all about chickens in the garden strategies, but we have a fence around our garden and we really built the fence to keep the chickens out and the dogs out during the summer. But once most of the crops are done and you know, my carrots are underground and such, I think it's a great time to turn the chickens loose. And so we had a batch of meat birds this fall and I hate keeping meat birds in the chicken coop because they're stinky and they're messy. And they were the happiest meat birds you ever saw going out into the garden. And so we just put a little bit of food in a pan of water out there. So they have some supplemental food and they went nuts. And people tell me all the time, Oh, meat birds, these Cornish cross, excuse me, (laughs) Cornish Tongue twister, Cornish cross. There you go. That variety of meat bird, people will say, oh, they don't forage and they don't uh, peck and they don't scratch and they just sit. And that is true to an extent, but these Cornish cross birds went nuts in my garden and they jumped up into the beds. They scratched, they cleaned. There was not a weed left and they had a ball and they were healthy and they grew really well. So We stuck them out there. They did not damage the carrots or I think there were some parsnips and beets left. They didn't hurt them. They ate some of the greens, but they didn't hurt the actual stuff underground. So maybe use this time even if you're not growing out in the garden. You're not trying to maintain vegetables. Maybe just turn the birds in there and give them some extra room to run and some extra stuff to eat. Okay, as far as growing goes, I kind of hinted at this in the beginning of this episode and also in the previous episode where we talked about fall gardening, the key to to winter growing, even if you have season extenders like a greenhouse or a cold frame or low tunnels, it's not so much about actively growing. Like you're not going to see these plants grow by leaps and bounds like we do in the summer. This is more about getting growth on the plants and then being able to maintain them. And I kind of think of it as like a giant refrigerator. And I love this because when we're thinking about vegetables that spoil quickly, like our lettuces and our spinach, you know, you buy those at the store and you have a few days before they're gross and slimy. And I mean, how many bags of store-bought greens have you thrown away? Like, I'm embarrassed to even think about that. You, you have the best intentions in the world. You bring them home and then it's like, whoops, that, that happened fast. Anyway, this is like a giant refrigerator of greens that aren't going to go bad, and you could grow everything you'd want for winter salads, and it's fresh. It's there for the taking. So the key, though, is to get it growing, get it mature while it's warm, and then we're just going to do whatever it takes to protect it during the colder months. There's a couple ways to do this. There, um, we've talked about these in previous episodes. I'll just go through them quickly. Cold frames. They're the first thing I would look at. If you are just getting started in gardening, you you don't have a greenhouse, you're not sure if you even want a greenhouse or you want to go to the full extent of all these fancy structures. Some of them aren't even that fancy, but, you know, it just takes more work. A cold frame is something that most anyone can put together. And if you have raised beds, you could build a cold frame over the beds. If you don't have raised beds, you could tuck a cold frame up on the south side of your barn or your house and use that as some shelter. But in essence, it's a box of some sort or a lid that is going to intensify the heat and create a little mini greenhouse. And I've seen people make the walls of their cold frame out of straw bales or cinder blocks, or sometimes they'll use wood. The most important part is you just want it to be tipped up a little bit of an angle towards the south. And I'll let you do the Google work as far as figuring out the exact angles and stuff that doesn't lend itself well to an audio podcast episode. It gets kind of boring when we're talking about measurements, but they're not hard to build. And if you have old windows, old panes of glass, you can get really creative and maybe you plant your greens in a cold frame. In the late summer, they get some growth and then you put the lid on when it starts to get cold and they just hang out out there and you can harvest from them well into the winter. Like maybe you're having Christmas dinner with freshly grown spinach. Like how cool would that be? That would be pretty cool. Uh, Other options, there's something called a low tunnel. There's high tunnels and there's low tunnels. A high tunnel would be one you could walk in. A low tunnel would be one that's more like a row cover. A lot of folks use these, especially in the milder climates. When I say milder, I'm just thinking of a place that's not Wyoming, <laughs> where it doesn't blow 80 mile an hour. And like, I'm not joking, the end of this week, it's supposed to be around 27 below as a low on Thursday and Friday. So, I mean, fairly extreme, just just saying. So if you live in a place that's not quite as extreme, a lot of people can do amazing things with these low tunnels. So you would get these hoops, like, wire hoops. You would stick them over your rows, cover them with, some people do a fabric in the summer to keep bugs off, but then you can switch to a plastic when it's cold and lay that over the hoops and secure it down. And that acts like a little mini greenhouse. The reason I haven't done a lot of cold tunnel, or excuse me, low tunnel experimentation is number one, we have raised beds. So it's a little different. I mean, I still could put some hoops over those, but the main reason is the wind. And in Wyoming, Um, We got a couple weeks ago. I think I mentioned it on an episode. I can't remember. It was like uh, the town south of us had 105 mile an hour winds. It was clocked. That is hurricane wind, folks, except we don't live at the beach. We just have prairie hurricanes. And any plastic of any sort, it's a goner. Like it will be in Nebraska. So I don't even try. Like I've seen people try to cheat the system and put some plastic hoops up and, or, you know, hoops with plastic covering. And it just either shreds it or it blows it away. So I don't do that, but you might be able to do that. You might make that work for your situation. Hey friend, I wanted to take a quick break from this episode to talk about something that's a pretty big deal right now, the canning lid shortage. It has a whole lot of people wondering if they're even going to be able to preserve the food from their gardens this year. 2020 not only caused some major shortages with the seed industry, but it did the same for canning lids, as many of you know, and they're almost impossible to find. I actually ordered a big box of lids in May of 2020, and it still hasn't arrived. It's nowhere to be seen. And if you do happen to find some online, let's just say price gouging is real. Anyway, I have good news. I think I found a solution. I was thrilled to come across Harvest Guard reusable canning lids recently. Not only are they made from super tough materials that are specifically designed to be used over and over again, they're actually a fraction of the cost of what some of the disposable lids are going for right now. If you wanna check them out, I think you're gonna be super impressed. Head on over to theprairiehomestead.com Slash canning lids. I'll also drop a link in the show notes. And if you place an order, be sure to use code Homestead to save 10%. Plus, shipping is always free. Now back to our episode. Another option is save your plastic gallon jugs, like milk jugs, juice jugs, uh, vinegar jugs. Save them and fill them with water. And you can set those around your plants and what it does, the water heats up during the day, and then it releases that heat at night. So it's not a a lot, but if you maybe combine some water jugs spread around your greens with some sort of cover, it might just be enough to keep them happy as the temperatures start to drop as we get into transitioning from fall to winter. Now, naturally, kind of the, the big daddy of all season extensions, the one that is the the top of the heap would be a greenhouse, and as many of you know, we built our greenhouse finally, our very first one in uh, I think we completed it August of 2020. So I'm still new to this world, and this is what I didn't expect about building a greenhouse. It's this sounds silly. It's kind of confusing. Like there's I I just I was shocked at how confusing it is because there are a lot of trains of thought. And a lot of ways you can use a greenhouse, there's people who, you know, just start bedding plants. So these greenhouses have concrete floors and heaters and lights hanging from the ceiling. But then I'm like, well, I don't need lights because I'm just going to use the sun. And so then I was like, do I need concrete? Well, no. So I just have a dirt floor. And there's people that grow tropical plants in their greenhouse and they're perennials. And there's people who grow annual vegetables. And like, there's a million ways to use a greenhouse. But the main reason we built our greenhouse is for winter gardening. And our goal is just basically to extend our growing season because our growing season is naturally so short. And this may not be something that you even need to consider. If you live in a mild climate where, you know, you can grow stuff all throughout November, December, January, February, and it does okay because it's not that cold. Maybe you maybe get a little snow every once in a while, but it's not that bad. Like, yeah, absolutely. You probably get away without using a greenhouse. But for us, even the hardiest vegetables are going to really struggle when it's 20 below, right? <laughs> That's extreme. So for us, the greenhouse makes sense also because Wyoming is high elevation, or at least the part we're in, and it gets a lot of bright sun. Like I honestly, sometimes I feel like it's too much bright sun. I'm from the Pacific Northwest. And so I love a good rainy, moody day. Like I crave those days, maybe not 18 in a row. Cause then you kind of get depressed, but <laughs> I like a good cozy day. And sometimes it annoys me in Wyoming because the sun is always shining, which is great for the depression whole vibe, but it's not so great when you want a cozy day with coffee and a book, but it is awesome for greenhouses. And so what we have with hail and wind and snow and cold we make up for with a lot of sun. So what I've noticed happening with our greenhouse is it can be super cold outside, but we have that bright sun. Even like today, it's like zero. The sun is still bright and it's heating up that greenhouse. And so the greenhouse will be 40 degrees, 50 degrees. Not that long ago, like in January, we had a couple warm days that got up into the eighties and nineties in there felt amazing to be out there in your t-shirt in January Um, But the sun really helps. We put in an actual greenhouse with the polycarbonate panels. In most places, that's overkill. Most places can get away with a hoop house or a high tunnel, which is just a big version of a low tunnel. It's the hoops, the metal, you know, half circles covered in thick plastic and secured. And a lot of places can put in a hoop house for a lot cheaper, than a greenhouse because it's not as stationary, and that will do everything you need it to do. Um, we can't do that because of our wind. We tried, we looked, we examined. I tried to like see how I could make it work, and everyone I talked to was like, mm, "No, that would be a stupid idea because you get hurricanes on the prairie, so don't do that." So we went with an actual greenhouse that is rated for I think it's hundred mile an hour. No, it's one hundred and fifteen. Excuse me, it's one hundred and fifteen mile an hour winds, and it also is rated for hail. So so far, it's it's survived the wind. I don't know about the hail yet. That is remains to be seen, fingers crossed. But I plan to treat it basically like a hoop house, like a lot of people grow. In a hoop house, we'll just use the greenhouse. And so I know this is repeat information for some of you, but I have some new revelations that I want to share. So bear with me. As soon as we finish the greenhouse in August. Maybe it was, I think I, maybe the first week of September, I got my seeds in. It was a little late. I should have done it earlier, but I didn't really have a choice. So we tilled up the ground, added some composted manure, planted spinach, mizuna, uh, mosh, kale, arugula, what else? Did I say spinach? Oh, I did a little bit of romaine. Romaine was like, eh, didn't do great. Planted it and I've been watering it and it grew and it got enough growth on it that it's still out there. It is now, at the time of this recording, it is almost the middle of February. And I we had spinach salad last night, and it tastes amazing. And the spinach and all of the greens have survived some pretty considerable cold snaps. Um, last week, the week before, it got down to 10 degrees in the greenhouse. Like, it was way colder outside. It was 10 degrees inside, and I'm like, uh-oh this isn't great, but I went out the next day and everything was fine. Like there was some of the plants around the edges that got a little bit wilted. Like they weren't super happy, but I watered everybody. And as the temperatures came back up, they all bounced right back. I didn't have any dying off. So I'm pretty impressed. That's as, that's as cold as we've gotten so far, 10 degrees. Now, like I mentioned, we're supposed to get the coldest we've been all year, the end of this week. So that remains to be seen how that's going to work out. It might be the end of my spinach run, but I'm pretty happy. Middle of February, I'm I'm not complaining. And I mean, of course, I'm getting ready to start it all over again. March, I mean, we'll be planting stuff in the greenhouse, I think, the end of this month, end of February. So I'm impressed. And if I can do that in Wyoming, I think there's possibility for many of you as well, also in cold climates, to figure out how a structure can just extend that season. And what I've learned about Growing in the greenhouse during the winter. And this would also apply, like I keep saying greenhouse, but if you're in a a nicer climate, you could do this in a cold frame. You could do this in a low tunnel. Like there's lots of ways to get around this. It's less rushed. And at first I'm like, man, am I going to just hate this? Because normally I really need that mental break after the craziness of garden season. But I don't know. I've really enjoyed it, guys. It's just felt good. I haven't had to deal with the bugs like the spinach has no holes the kale has no bug bites it's amazing and it's sweet like the spinach is literally sweet it's like nothing I've ever tasted um a lot of times the spinach I grow in the summer gets bitter because it's too hot and of course the spinach at the store tastes like nothing like it's a like cardboard of nothingness ugh. this is the best spinach you've ever tasted it literally is sweet. Um, the kale has just richer depth of flavor. Everything tastes so much better. There's no bugs. The weed there's some weeds but they're not as much. And beyond just the watering, we don't have a hydrant in the greenhouse yet. That'll happen next summer, but so I'm dragging a hose from my old my other garden all the way up to the greenhouse. It's a little bit of a pain, but it's not horrible and that's really all I've had to do. And I'm sold. Like I I'm sold because I don't have to worry about you know <laughs> glutting on the greens in the summer and it's already so hard to grow them in the summer and I'm like you know what I'm just gonna skip them in the summer and let them be a winter food so I am definitely a believer on the whole winter gardening extending the season I don't know I'm a fan and also I wanted to share this with you I have a YouTube video coming out but well by the time you hear this episode the video will be live it'll be up so you can go check it out Last week, We had a chance, it was very last minute, to go over to Alliance, Nebraska and visit Greenhouse in the Snow. And some of you may have heard of him. He's kind of a legend. His name is Russ Finch. He's 89 years old. And when he, I think when he retired from his regular job a long time ago, (laughs) 35 years ago, he started this hobby greenhouse and he attached it to his home and he uses geothermal to heat it. And I was really interested in this because Christian and I are exploring geothermal heat for our above ground greenhouse. And so Mr. Finch has a greenhouse that's set down in the ground a little ways. It's still partially above ground and he heats it completely with geothermal. But the thing that's so crazy about this, and I've heard this rumor, there's a guy in Nebraska who and he's growing oranges in Nebraska. And I'm like, there's got, I mean, oh, are you sure? Like, I think you might be confused. Are you sure you don't mean by Nebraska, you don't mean like Florida? <laughs> because I'm just not sure I believe you. So I was kind of like skeptical and I'm like, well, maybe he has like heaters in there and he's using a ton of propane to heat his greenhouse. I mean, sure, then you could grow oranges, you could grow anything you wanted. But anyway, I heard there was this tour happening. So we got on the tour, dropped school. I dropped my work day, um, got in the car and drove over to Alliance, Nebraska. It's about two and a half hours away from us. The climate is... Very similar. Prairie, cold, windy, the whole nine yards. And sure enough, Mr. Finch, he gave us a tour. He was incredible, answered so many questions. You can see that on the YouTube video. He grows 13 different types of citrus, pomegranates, grapes, figs, all kinds of tropical flowers. And he heats this greenhouse entirely by geothermal, which, in case you're not familiar with that, it's also known as like. An earth battery, but basically, you dig down, put a series of tubes in the earth, and some of those tubes come up into the greenhouse and you use fans. And the temperature of the earth, when you go down enough, you know, go down far enough, it is steady. So in the winter, you know, you're going to have that 50 ish degree air that's going to be always 50 degrees, and it's just blowing that air up into the greenhouse. So you're able to maintain a higher temperature just with the temperature of the earth. And in the summer, it works the same way. And it actually will help cool a greenhouse because one of the dangers of greenhouse growing year round is actually not so much winter. I mean, that's a problem, but stuff gets way too hot in there in the summer. And I can attest, even in the fall last year, there were days that greenhouse was blazing hot. Like you walk in there and you're just like, I'm going to pass out. I can't even stand up. So you have to be able to control the temperatures For the plants if you're going to grow in the summer. Anyway, so geothermal can do both of those things. So Mr. Finch has perfected this system and he now sells kits all over the United States for people who want to mimic his design. But it was fascinating and it was inspiring. And I think the biggest takeaway for me from that visit was just how much is possible if we're willing to think outside the box. And This is honestly, this is my takeaway for this whole episode because I just looked down and we're we're nearing our time when I usually try to let you guys go. So I just don't talk your ear off. But (laughs) the, the biggest takeaway for me in that trip, on that tour, and in homesteading in general is push on what you think is possible. Be willing to push outside of the box. And so often we don't question things. We don't question what we've been told. And we just think this is the way it is. And I think that lesson is something Homestead has really driven home for me over the years. And it's allowed me to ask questions like, you know, do I do I have to get my food this way? Do I have to be dependent on the grocery store? What happens if I try something different? Or And then that leaked into things like, do I have to school my kids one certain way like everybody else? What if we did something different? What does that look like? Or do I have to make an, a living one certain way, working like everybody else, or could I try something different? And what I found is when you're willing to ask, what if, a whole new world of possibilities opens up and it gets really exciting. And you know, this applies on small scales like the garden and all the way up to bigger life choices. But for years, I had this fixed belief that I could only garden one way in Wyoming, And that one way wasn't super great. (laughs) And there's plenty of people out there who are willing to echo in on that belief and say, yeah, gardening in Wyoming is almost impossible. Just really can't be done. Not even worth trying. I did it one year and I failed. So eh, not worth it. And it's really easy to just believe this, this box we are in is the gospel, the gospel truth, but it's not necessarily right. There's always ways we can innovate and be creative and think outside the box And touring this amazing greenhouse in the snow just drove that home that, you know, we can take what we think that we're stuck in. I live in Wyoming and, you know, this part of the world is not conducive to gardening and I can sit in that or I can choose to take this problem, this challenge and expand. And when we're willing to expand and use the resources we have and get creative, the possibilities are endless, like growing oranges and freaking nebraska you guys like who would have thought so just take that chew on it for a little bit as you think about your garden this year i know some of you probably as you've been listening to this series on gardening this on on this latest few episodes you've probably been thinking of maybe problems you have or obstacles you have or you're listening to me talk and you're thinking jill that sounds great but i can't do that because xyz and i get those comments a lot um Sometimes I'm amazed at the comments I'll get on a YouTube video or a, a Facebook post where all people can see is the obstacle. And it's, it's that's okay sometimes because obstacles are real. They're legit. You're not necessarily making that up. But what I challenge you to do is not just to look at the obstacle, but to start looking at ways around it. And it's not always there at first glance. Sometimes you have to work on it a while, but it's there, I promise you. And if you're willing to get creative, You can not only find a solution that works, but you might find a solution that's entirely better than what you started with and what everybody else does in the first place. So that is my sermon for you today. (laughs) Um, We are nearing the end of this series. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope that you have enjoyed it as well. Obviously, we went through gardening super fast. You know, you're listening to this episode on winter gardening, and likely if you're listening to it the days it came out, it's still early spring. But what I wanted to do is we're moving through each phase of the year. I just wanted to give you a roadmap so you know what's coming and you know what to expect because with gardening, it's so easy to get down in the dirt, literally and figuratively, and kind of forget the bigger picture of what's coming next, when the harvest will show up, what we can do in the fall, what we can do in the winter, how we can prepare ourselves for spring. So hopefully you have a big picture now, you know where you're headed and you have a plan. Now, I think we have one other, no, I know we have, not I think, I know we have one other bonus episode coming after this one. I maybe have an additional one after that. I haven't decided. You'll see when it hits the podcast app, whether or not that's the case. Uh, But I'm really excited for our bonus episode. I have a very special guest, Chris Dating of the Homestead Garden, and we're going to be talking about, speaking of obstacles, a really big obstacle for gardeners, both new and experienced, and that is, what do you do when you have a giant garden fail? You get bucked off the garden horse, and you're sitting there debating, do you get back on, or do you just tuck tail and go maybe pick a new hobby? (laughs) Maybe gardening's not your thing. Maybe you have a brown thumb. Maybe I don't want to try this again. Maybe this isn't worth my time. If you've ever had any of those thoughts cross your mind, I know I have more than once, you're going to love the episode coming up next. We're going to dive deep into this topic and I think you're going to like some of the strategies we have for you to deal with it. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, if you want to stay in touch with me, you can do it over on Instagram at the Prairie Homestead or if social media is something you are moving away from at the moment, You can keep up with me over on email. If you go to the prairiehomestead.com slash layout, all one word, I will send you my free how to design your dream homestead little PDF thingy. Plus you'll get on my newsletter list where you can keep up with all the new videos I'm creating, the stuff. Sometimes I give things away. We have coupon codes, all that good stuff. I only email about once a week, so it's not going to overwhelm you, but it's a good way to stay in touch. And that's it. That's all I have for you today. And We'll chat again on the next episode. So thanks for listening, friends, and happy homesteading.